0: Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome to the Bill Kelly podcast for Monday, June 29th. Hope everyone had a great weekend. We touched on a number of stuff. Some stories really gained some steam over the weekend, including our friends in the States, the exponential rise of COVID-19 cases in the States and how it will impact us now. And we'll talk about the emotions of how we're feeling towards the U.S. We're kind of angry they're not getting it all together, but we're empathetic for those who are trying hard. Marvin Ryder will join me as well. Business prof from McMaster University. The negligence for the U.S., on COVID-19, how does that impact our own economy and could we see a shift in the Canadian dollar as well? We'll talk on that level to Rabina Ahmed Hawk, she's a personal finance expert. Facebook, getting a lot of advertising companies pulling away from them. Starbucks is just the latest. There's some massive, massive companies saying, we're not spending with you anymore because of the hateful information and the quote-unquote fake news that you put out. That's the company saying that, not just me. And David Fistman will join us, an excellent guest, U of T professor of epidemiology. We'll talk about masks. We'll talk about protection for retail workers And where we're moving closer to potentially getting through this in Ontario and seeing a vaccine. All that coming up on the Bill Kelly podcast.
1: Today on the Bill Kelly show on 900 CHML. What's the word
0: you'd use for how you're feeling watching what's transpiring in the U.S.? It's getting out of control. They're not doing very well. You can make the case they're doing very poorly as a matter of fact. And that's what it is a fact that they are not getting the job done, whatever we're doing. And even when we slip up, even when we screw up, even when we take chances, we shouldn't take with this virus, even when we're not following guidelines. And I think we all probably can raise our hand just a little. There's been a moment here or a moment there. And I'd say, especially in the last six, seven weeks, right? Since weather's gotten nice March and April, it was like, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll do it. Shut the doors, lock the doors. Don't talk. Don't see anybody. Don't go anywhere. And we know that we're, we're altering that somewhat. And we've been allowed to our guidelines from the doctors. uh, We're going to have Dr. David Fisman on today. He's the best. We're going to talk to him after 1030 today, but we're doing a lot of the proper things to get things back and running again. As are they in Europe. Okay, There's Premier League soccer games every day. It worked in Germany. Uh, there, there wasn't a massive outbreak. There's going to be a positive test here. And a positive test there. We're going to see that in our even in our bubbles. In our circles. Over the next several months. If we don't get a vaccine before the end of 2020. How it is now. Is probably closer to how it's going to stay. Than how it was a year ago at this time. Whatever you were doing in june 2019 it's not the case in the states and i was thinking about this on the weekend it's worse than it was in march and and there's two reasons it is one people are demoralized by others not doing what they're doing we're not seeing that quite as much in canada or in ontario as a whole but i can't imagine doing all the work doing it's like being in college doing all the work all the assignments doing everything you can do and let's say you're in a group project and and it's 40% of your mark and you've got somebody else or two other people not not pulling their weight not only are they not pulling their weight doing the work they don't believe in the project <laughs> okay they're in you know they're paying the same tuition their parents are helping them out your parents are helping you out you're in the same position you're going to a university think about where you went group projects and all you're hoping is Geez, I hope the other person's as into it as I am. Oh, I hope I don't have to do all this. And 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 even doing all the work won't get you the grade if you all have got to go up to the front of the lecture hall and present it together. So why is this, so that's one reason the situation is much more dire is the word I would use in the US. The second reason is this is the fact that if number one, people are demoralized, and number two, there isn't the level of public cooperation people got sick and tired of it people got bored with it people might have even stopped believing that they could get it okay it's not like making a mistake and going wow i screwed that up wow i did something really stupid and i got away with it i guess i'll always get away with it no 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 it's not like that okay and I'm, i've used this analogy before and i do apologize in advance if it's one that sits a little less comfortably with you But it sits comfortably with me, and I'm comfortable with it, so I will use it. Raise your hand if you've ever tested the boundaries of driving over the legal limit with alcohol. And I can't remember the last time I would have done it, but I'm sure that I did it in my late teens and early 20s. I don't have to be proud of it. I don't have to defend it, and I sure don't advocate for it. But I will say, when you get away with it, it's a lesson learned. And so, lesson: don't put yourself in that position again. It does. It's. It's not. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, it's not a casino where you're at the blackjack table and you do something stupid like hit on a 16. You get a four. Dealer's got 19. You win. And you should do it again. And COVID 19 is all about that. It's all about that. And now there isn't public cooperation. So you've got the people doing the right things. And they're demoralized because they've done all this work for so long. People want to reopen businesses. People want to think about sending their kids back to school, which is an issue all onto itself. I understand people going, hey, there's a nail salon open. You sure we can't try to open schools? Hey, I can sit and have a, a craft beer on a patio. I can have three if I want, if I'm not driving. And you're sure that you know we can't find a way to have some degree of in-school learning where everyone is safe? at least safer than we hope they would be back in March and April when we closed the schools down. So you've got demoralized people and people who just aren't in, okay? In March, a lot more people in the States were cooperating, and now they aren't, okay? And we know that there's a lot of concepts of as to why that's the case. But that's a massive, massive problem. The U.S. has 5% of the global population. We're not closer to 8 billion people, by the way, than we are to 7.5 billion um, I don't look it up every day, but I did uh, yesterday when planning the show. They've got 5% of people. They have 25% of global deaths. They have 31% of cases, six times, I guess, what we call the global average. And we wouldn't have thought well, that was the case because we think about other diseases and illnesses. You name it, HIV, AIDS, Ebola, malaria, uh, you know, anywhere else you want to go with something that's fatal. And generally speaking, it's the developing countries. It's the third world, as we'd call it, that struggles to keep people alive. No, the one of the richest countries on the planet is one of the countries that we think is likes to call itself pat itself on the back. And we all do that. Sometimes Canada has been doing a little bit of that for good reason. Everyone thinks where they live is the best country in the world. I know people in the UK that feel that way. I know people in Canada that obviously feel that way. But we also know people in the States that sure feel that way. And they can claim to be the most militarily powerful, but they can no longer. And this is the first time in my lifetime, and I don't know about yours, they're not the leader of the free world anymore. They're the joke of the free world. And it's not a very funny joke with what's transpiring right now. It's jarring me to the bone. It's probably jarring you to the bone. And look, we all have our own issues. We all have our own problems in Canada or wherever you are from or wherever relatives of yours are from. And this is just more than living or dying. It's quality of life. How is your life? Oh, great that you're alive. How is your life? And as bad as things are and will be probably like this for some time, it's worse down there. There's not socialized health care. Imagine that being a political issue. Imagine looking back a hundred years from now when we're all gone And our grandkids talking about, wasn't that incredible that at one point and for decades on end, it was a political issue that you shouldn't have to pay to get yourself well if you're at all able to avoid it. (laughs) How's that the best country in the world? So we're in a struggle here, and I want to get your reaction to that struggle. How do we feel about our American friends? What's our emotion? Are we angry at them? They're screwing this up. Some are for an awful lot of people, us included. Is that just a selfish perspective on our part? Or do we have every right to say, buddy, ma'am, all of you, okay? You're you, by not wearing a mask, by not distancing, by not doing a million things that you're supposed to be doing, you're screwing this up for us. Of course, our economy can't get back and jump-started it when there's an utter and complete crisis of not only political confidence, but... Beds are getting used to get like hospitals are getting flooded again. And everyone say, hey, cases aren't matching deaths right now. Give it time. Did you think cases match, match deaths in March and April? No, they didn't. But when, they, when did they start to? Several weeks later. Check back on several weeks. You won't be so glib about deaths not matching cases. So where do we go with our American friends? We want to be the same friends with them. Should we be any kind of support system for them? There's going to be debate about it until there's a vaccine. And as we always ask, when I bring up vaccine, I love hearing other people bring it up. And I get a warm, the warm fuzzies every day when someone suggests we're that that much closer, even if it's a minuscule amount. But what if there isn't a vaccine? I'm confident there will be. Science has never pumped more money into something. They've never had more brilliant people working on something. They didn't do that for AIDS in the 80s. They didn't do that for Ebola. So, we're all feeling it, okay? We're all feeling the empathy for our American friends while having our own issues. So, there's a lot we'll have to talk about with this. How do we feel about our American friends right now? Empathy? Anger? Where is it? Scott Gottlieb's a fantastic doctor, and he was on CNBC's Squawk Box. It's a great name for a show, and you do get valuable information. And Dr. Gottlieb is one of the best. Here's what he said about where America is right now and where they're going. I want you to listen to this.
1: Well, look, I think the concern about what's going on in the South and the Southeast right now is that it's pretty far along. That to have the level of infection that they're diagnosing now and the hospitalizations that they're starting to see – The community spread is pretty pervasive and we're going to see it build pretty quickly over the next two weeks. I think that's the concern. We'll know. We'll see soon what happens this week. But uh, it does appear that there's a lot of infection out down there. Now, the infection right now is in a younger cohort. So we're not seeing the number of deaths that we saw during the first wave of infection in the northeast and the north but that won't stay that way Um, eventually it will start to seep into older people more vulnerable people and you'll start to see the total number of deaths go up even if the death rate has come down which i believe it has the total number of deaths will go back up and we'll probably get above a thousand deaths a day on average as the infection starts to widen out that's the concern Um, you know you look at states like florida texas california as well georgia south carolina the cases are accelerating pretty quickly
0: all right, so here's the question, and I want your reaction to this. doesn't have to get political. Do you feel in your heart and mind, no matter what happens in the U.S. election leading up to it, that we now have a changed relationship with the U.S.? I want your perspective on it. We're going a little more bigger than local right now, but it sure affects everybody in Hamilton. It, it affects everybody listening right now, the U.S.-Canada relationship. And they're getting obviously blitzed and bombed by COVID-19 right now, whereas we are burrowing our way out of the trouble. At least we hope and think so. It's leaning in that direction. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. From the economic perspective, there's that phrase that's out there, America sneezes, all of us catch cold. And it hasn't impacted America's dollar. It really hasn't impacted uh, their trade and we're hoping it doesn't, okay? A healthy American economy, in all honesty, it's nothing, you, you shouldn't root for chaos when it comes to the American economy uh, if you're in Canada. I want to bring in our next guest uh, to talk specifically about that. He's a professor of uh, marketing at McMaster, Marvin Ryder, joining us on the show. Uh, professor Ryder, I appreciate the time. How are you today?
2: Glad to be with you, and I'm
0: fine, thank you. Well, good to know, good to know. Uh, do I do I have that right? We're looking at with with a mix of, I think, empathy and, and anger at the U.S., but all things told, we can't really pick ourselves back properly enough off the mat, no, no matter what our cases are, until America gets their, themselves together, can we?
2: Well, it's certainly true that our economy is highly linked to the United States. Uh, we are America's largest trading partner, and they are our largest trading partner, and of our largest trading partner is sick. It's not good for us. Now, in fairness, uh, for the better part of the last 20 years, the various prime ministers of Canada have been working to try to diversify our reliance on the American economy that's why we sign free trade deals with with other countries like for instance, the EU as a as a collective or why we sign a free trade deal with Korea and places like that because we're trying to diversify but even though we've done a lot to move away from being totally reliant on the United States still it's our largest trading partner and we want them to be well now we have an interesting situation and this is the trade-off between The health of a population and the economy of that population. In Canada, uh, we decided, uh, for good or bad, that our first priority was going to be the health of the Canadian population. So we took some very unprecedented steps to shut down our economy. You might remember uh, Doug Ford, among others, declared certain businesses as essential, others as non essential. And if you were non essential, you were shut down. So I'm sorry, restaurants, you're non essential. I'm sorry, retail, you're non essential and that certainly hurt us we saw unemployment shoot up uh... we saw activity go down uh... That's our gdp type activity go down um, and and so now we're trying to restart the economy in the united states they started down the same road as canada so if you go back to february march even early april it appeared it appeared the united states was also putting the health of their people first but um, by mid-april uh, mister trump was saying you know the economy if the economy stupid we've got to really get this thing going and so the switch was uh, less interest on the health of people and more on getting the economy going and so we saw lots of states opening up today i'm not actually sure where i would put it on that meter i am very concerned that America's first wave of coronavirus is still not under control. We're not watching a second wave
0: No, here. we're not.
2: We're still watching the first wave. And uh, I'm very concerned when I look at places like California and Florida and Texas, who, just like Mr. Trump, he left some of this to the governors. Those governors said, let's, let's get all this thing going again. Let's get the retail. Let's get the beaches. Let's get the tourism going. And now they're paying a price for it. Uh, I don't I don't want to see this happen in the United States, um, uh, and if they do have to shut down, let's suppose they now have to shut down for another month or two months, that's not good news for Canada. Just to give you a sense of it in another way, uh, take our airports, volume of tourists and people flying in from the United States is down 98% Hot. because our border is closed with the United States except for essential travel. Uh, I know there were all kinds of Canadians hoping, well, maybe on July 21st, when the current ban on the border is, is to be reviewed, it might reopen. But there's a great argument to say, no, until they get this under control, keep it closed. This border could remain closed until September, maybe October. That's all terrible news for the Canadian tourism industry. Um, and yet at the same time, I, I see people like Prince Edward Island and Newfoundland Who try to attract tourists now reaching out to Europe who are saying, Well, you folks seem pretty healthy. Maybe you'd like to come over to Canada this year, or even talking internally to one another saying this might be a great time for Canadians to rediscover their country. It is a difficult
0: situation. It's remarkably difficult. Professor uh, Marvin Ryder joining us from uh, McMaster on uh, the Bill Kelly show with Greg Brady. Yeah, a lot of people are thinking uh, it's a lot more complex, obviously, to travel to Europe uh, for tourism. But if you, yeah, if you delayed a cruise to the States or you you have a home in Arizona of all the places that are hot spotting, um, the the highest percentages of positive tests are now uh, in Arizona. um, It's remarkable. Yeah, you're probably pivoting to go, uh, Europe, like what a juxtapose from March, where we're like Italy's getting ravaged, the UK is getting ravaged, France, and and now we're seeing them tidying up and and getting much much better to the point where it, it's very feasible that people will and and our trade may may change as well of course the us is, is a convenient trading partner and the trucks are still able to go across the border but we don't know whether how much the supply chain's going to get disrupted that was the big fear in march and april and if they're still in the first wave professor this is a big problem
2: yeah now it's also fair to say that um, you know the us stock market took a big tumble uh back in march since then it has recovered significantly we saw a couple of bad days last week But just putting those aside for a second, the U.S. stock market has come back. Eighty-five percent of what it lost in March has come back. Their dollar has remained strong, but even our dollar has gained. You know, I can remember back in March there were nice people – forgive me, like you in the radio industry who are asking me, you know, is the Canadian dollar going to go to $0.65 cents U.S., $0.60 cents U.S.? I said, I, I thought it would get stronger, and it has. We're almost back to $0.75 cents U.S., 74 75 in that range. That's had a recovery. Oil has had a recovery, trading for just a little under $40 a barrel, but there was a time during all this where you almost couldn't give oil away at one point. So we are getting back, but that is all because of what's going on in the United States. And and certainly what I find when I deal with Americans is they are very myopic, meaning they only tend to look at themselves and they assume the rest of the world is just like them. Yeah, uh, There are many Americans. I vacation in, in California in August normally, and I have received emails from businesses that i would patronize while in california uh... asking me how the situation was in canada and how are we coping with all of this and i said well we're actually doing pretty well it comes as an absolute shock to them because they assume that what's happening in california or in arizona is happening around the world and of course uh, it's not i don't know how any of this is going to play out as the summer continues they may very well begin to get quite upset when their political leadership is not leading them back to a path of healthiness.
0: I want to get a question on immigration. Before I do that, I want to get to a question from a listener who is asking about the exchange rate and why, you know, we haven't seen anything close to 2007, the economy starts to fall apart. The auto industry starts to fall apart, and then boom, 2008. It's a clear-on recession. But our dollar goes up, and their dollar goes down. And people would remember that 12 years ago, where you walk into a bank with 100 U.S. dollars, and they're giving you, you know, you're not. They're giving you 93 Canadian dollars back. It's an alternate universe, given what we've generally known for 50 years. Is is our dollar, uh, you know, commensurate to to where the U.S. is, or should it could it could it move even more significantly in our favor? I suppose if this gets worse.
2: Yeah, the, the funny thing to, to think about here is that the Canadian dollar in, on the world stage is considered to be a petrodollar, dollar, meaning that the Canadian currency is highly 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 tied to the price of oil. As oil recovers uh, and say gets to and I, I hate to say these words out loud, but maybe $45 a barrel, $50 a barrel, the Canadian dollar will continue to get stronger. I don't think it's going to get back to parity anytime soon, mm-hmm. but uh, we could get to over 75 cents, head towards 80 at some point, if oil continues to strengthen. And remember, there are these nice people called OPEC. This is the oil-producing cartel. They actually have stated that they would like to see the price of oil get to $60 a barrel, 60. A barrel before the end of 2020. If their prediction comes true, the Canadian dollar will will strengthen along that way because we are seen as a petro currency. Um, so it has very little to do with how America is doing. It actually has very little how to do with the general Canadian economy is doing. It's all tied to the fortunes of oil.
0: Uh, immigration. There was a uh, op-ed in the Globe and Mail talking about the domestic job market and noting that. There's been and there was an obvious what I'd call a brain drain, right? What a lot of people would call a brain drain at the, at the turn of the century. Immigration opened up even post 9-11. Uh, it opened up to where we'd lose a lot of our best doctors because of the difference in healthcare systems. We lose our best lawyers It's a little like losing athletes to go to college scholarships in the U.S. They say, why am I going to McGill or Mac uh, when they're offering me a free ride at uh, at UConn or wherever? So that's that's been a big, big thing. If the U.S. is tightening visas uh, and they are considerably. The H-1B visas is one I work down in the states on. Uh, if they're tightening those up, are we going to see that we'll keep a lot of our basically our, our best in Canada? And they won't be able to make maybe what they could make in the U.S. But there's just there's just no room for them with their economy right now.
2: Right. Well, the the, the challenge I have in answering that question is uh, this thing called the presidential election in <laughs> November. Um, if this is a short-term thing, in other words, the tightening up of visas, Donald Trump saying we're putting Americans first and we're keeping the rest of the world at the, at the door, if this only lasts three or four months until a presidential election, and then maybe if there is a change in president, um, obviously that would be a Democratic president, and they reverse this, this will have no long-term impact on Canada. But if this were to be enshrined as policy, probably because the president was re-elected, then, yes, I think it would make a difference. And what we're also seeing is large multinational companies, they have options about where they do business. Amazon, for instance, is not just Amazon in the United States, but they have Amazon.ca. There's a Canadian division of this. And if Amazon is having problems getting the talent it needs to develop its website, etc., in the United States then they might very well do that development work in Canada and say okay I can hire the people I need through Canada so I'm going to shift that north of the border and and this is both the good and the bad news about relying on multinational businesses in your economy right when the when the time is advantageous to them maybe because of tax laws maybe in this case because of immigration laws they may do more business in your country but then along comes a change in American policy and they may shift it back and you might lose that Our fortunes that way then tend to ebb and fall with American policy and these multinational businesses. But again, my advice always is when things turn in your favor, take advantage of it for as long and as far as you can. And then when things go against you, either change some of your policies or ride out that wave because it's bound to come back at some point.
0: Professor Ryder, enjoy our conversation today. Thanks very much for taking the time. Have a great day. I will. Glad to be with you. Got it. Marvin Ryder, associate professor uh, for marketing, uh, economics professor as well at McMaster University, home of the Marauders and the Lady Marauders. I want to get that in. Can't be too careful. Uh, So listen, uh, yeah, he makes an an interesting point because as well, this is going to be more of a choice for people to come to Canada. A lot of times it's a flip of a coin coming from other continents. In terms of choosing immigration and the united states is not a choice for very much right now in terms of entry into the country a you can't and b even when you can are you going to so the most skilled and 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 the smartest and the the most ambitious want to come here and again this is why we have to have honest conversations about immigration like there is a number right there is a line can't let everybody in when they want to come at any time for any purpose. But there's humanitarian issues, the Syrian refugees, right? We've, we've got all day to consider that. But when it comes to work, if, you, if you've known people who've tried to get into Canada, um, it, it shouldn't be the easiest thing on the planet to do. And when someone says, oh, I want to toughen up immigration, if a candidate for the CPC uh, leadership would say that, we know what that what you know. Th- there'd be all this, all these cries of, uh, well, uh, right wing dog whistle. It's happening, and maybe, it w- maybe it'd be accurate. But honest and, and tough and important conversations about immigration are going to be more essential than ever these next couple of years. You just watch. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, this Starbucks Facebook story really intriguing to me. It is to an awful lot of people, and we're seeing a lot of companies. Basically pull the plug, okay? Like I said, there's two Facebooks. There's you putting up uh, pictures of, uh, you, you know, your your Father's Day dinner for your aunt Gertrude. And then there's the news aspect and the ugliness and the false information out there. So Verizon, Pepsi, Coke, Honda, Hershey's, all companies that have pulled off their ads off Facebook. And Starbucks is now the latest. It's sent the stock spiraling. What's it all mean? Very pleased to welcome in a business column for CBC and often on these uh, core stations, including our sister station, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And her uh, her Twitter handle is always save money, and which is a better Twitter handle than often save money. Rabina Ahmed-Hawk joins us now. Now we got to meet right before the pandemic uh, clamped us down, but I'm a fan of your work. It was great to meet you. And I hope you've been holding up okay these last few months.
3: Yeah, I've been holding up just as everyone else, kind of taking it day-to-day, it's really nice that you're now able to meet in groups of 10 without feeling nervous about it. <laughs> uh, so I think that's really helped my mental health, i got to be honest. Uh, last couple of days, you know, I've been able to meet with some friends, of course, at a six-foot six distance, but still get to see their face rather than just see them on uh, FaceTime or um or on uh, just a video
0: chat? Yeah, we've all had it with the video chats. They've uh, yeah. they've come and gone in terms of our excitement level to have them. Uh, I, now they're laborious is the, is the best way uh, I can put it. And you're right. You end up seeing these people. But, like, my, my kid's graduating grade 8, so he had some friends over in the backyard watching a movie last week. And we saw another couple outside uh, that's actually about to have a baby. But it's weird. My wife and I wake up the next morning, and we feel like we did something wrong. Like, together like we're looking at, oh, was that too much like we're we're asking ourselves that and i can't wait till we don't have to do that anymore
3: yeah like we have to check in to make sure we're not breaking the rules and uh, everyone coming is comfortable with the situation yeah. and a lot of questions being asked that we never really thought about before is it okay to have a veggie tray if I, as long as i have a fork that's separate from everyone else's fork and Things that I've had to sort of discuss that
0: I never thought I would have to. Totally, Rubina, yeah. So you've probably watched this story with interest. I, I laid it out there in, in the basics, but it's costing Mark Zuckerberg a lot of his uh, net worth. So, you know, uh, we need a lot of tiny violins for that. But at the same time, it's uh, it, it, it could be a turning of the tide. And as I said, there's sort of two Facebooks out there. One where people, you know, social network with each other, but others that are kind of using it almost primarily sometimes for Um, incendiary uh, posts about news that aren't necessarily true, and and it's been documented that that's been a problem for Facebook.
3: Yeah, and Facebook originally said that they weren't going to uh, surveil the posts that were being put out there—they're not a news organization. They're not—you know—that's not the business that they're in. Uh, but now that is, of course, coming back to them and hurting them in their pocketbook. All those companies that you mentioned, including Unilever, which is one of their biggest clients, pulling their ads or pausing in some cases their ads uh, until Facebook starts to take more responsibility for what is being posted online. We know that there is now proof that you know Facebook will. Um, There are ads that are targeted that have a certain agenda towards certain people, um, and Facebook has to now come to terms with how they're going to make sure that misinformation isn't being spread. You know, we see it all the time, things that, you know, we would look at and say as journalists, wow, that is completely untrue. But some people who are already thinking of those things, may actually believe it and actually mm-hmm. act upon it. You know, the anti-vaxxer stuff is the one thing that comes to mind where, you know, most people would say that can't be true. But if you're someone that already has beliefs in that um, and then you see a couple of videos and a few celebrities and something that looks credible, you, it might just cement your beliefs. And that has real effects where then you're not vaccinating your children or you're doing things that are putting the health and welfare of your children um, in danger.
0: Yeah, you, they get emboldened by it, that's for sure. And then, and then they send an email out or send a link out and it's shared and, it, it you know, it's uh, like a virus, if you will, no pun intended, it, it, it spreads. Do you think, are you suspicious at all, Rabina? that again, there's some, um, you know, there's an aspect of this that, that some will criticize for, for opportunism because they're striking while the, the iron is hot in, in terms of, uh, you know, especially in terms of issues of race right now, there must be some people going, Oh, your day of reckoning is right now when everyone else is doing it. Where were you a year ago or two years ago?
3: I think that that's true for a lot of companies. I mean, since the death of George Floyd on May 25th, which is now going on almost two months, Already, no rather sorry, uh, more than one month. So it's into the second month of the the protests that are happening. Companies have come on board. We've seen people lose their jobs over comments that they've made. Things are happening really, really quickly. So I, I think uh, you know, Facebook, maybe what they said a year ago, as long as they're now recognizing the damage that they are causing, they may be able to attract these advertisers back. But most of their revenue comes from advertising, mm-hmm. and so they need to make the changes now. I mean, it's hitting them in the pocketbook. You mentioned the tiny violin. I think. Over the weekend, I read that uh, Mark Zuckerberg has lost $7 billion. I mean, that's got to hurt somebody, even if you are a multi-billionaire. That's a lot of money to lose in a short amount of time. Um, And I'm sure today, in their headquarters, they are rethinking, you know, how can we get these advertisers back on board? How can we make it so the information being shared um, is something that they align with. Because the advertisers fear, just as they do when they, they advertise with certain networks or certain television stations, that if their ad is there and then on the, next to it is some sort of uh, mm-hmm. video that has completely been debunked but is being shared, they might be associated with that, and that's the last thing we want to do.
0: Ruben Ahmed Hoc, business columnist, business journalist, uh, joining us on The Bill Kelly Show. My name is Greg Brady, in for Bill today. Do you think we get to the point, because obviously a lot of the issues with social media and, and business-oriented social media is the anonymity. It's There have been people calling for, A long time for uh, Twitter to say, hey, you know that's great. You can post on there, share opinion, give back and forth, but you you know, put a put a credit card on there, put a name behind the face, make it more legitimate. Um, Facebook is is a little more organized in that concept, uh, but it hasn't stopped. Um, you know, the the flow of some hateful things on Facebook pages. And, and, again, people are posting hateful things, probably knowingly in some cases, but they're doing it on the auspices. Well, it's a news story. How was I supposed to know the difference, right?
3: Yeah, and, you know, Facebook, which started as a way for us to connect and share photos and know what each other are doing on our day-to-day lives, has now evolved into something completely different. I mean, they are the original so- social media platform, and they are now you know, it's not just about being friends with someone. It's about belonging to pages that promote a certain idea. It's a belonging to private groups where you feel maybe more encouraged to speak, you know, your mind, whether it be, you know, something that others might consider to be offensive. You might feel that you can say whatever you want. I mean, we've already been through the fact that, you've got to be careful what you put online it can come back to haunt you years later we've seen examples of that but facebook now has to recognize that they are no longer just a pure you know social media company where colleges are sharing college students are sharing information about their day and their friday night and what they're having for breakfast it really is a powerful tool to, uh, to to make change. I mean, often when we hear about protests, where do we hear about them? They're organized on Facebook. That's how you get the word out. It's an easy, free way for, for young people, especially, to connect with people around the world. Um, and so if Facebook doesn't recognize that, then they are going to lose advertisers and eventually... Um, you know, other platforms that maybe are a little bit more aware of the power of their platform will be the ones that are uh, will be able to attract advertisers the way uh, Facebook uh, the ones that the Facebook is losing.
0: I'm reading this on uh, Press Run. I was reading it last night. I want to on a, I want to read a uh, an op-ed that was written uh, and get your reaction to it. Eric Bollert, uh wrote it. Uh, Zuckerberg has tried to stem the uproar by announcing minor new policies the company will put into place to combat the spread of hate speech on Facebook. For instance, no ads will be allowed if they label another demographic as dangerous or if they portray immigrants or refugees as inferior and i'm saying that and you're hearing that Rabin, and we're probably both thinking the same thing i think that's the standard like that's how low the bar is is that we don't portray other people other other demographics as inferior we got to do a lot better than that and corporations must feel the same way yeah
3: and also you know i read that how facebook has failed to remove holocaust denial as a form of hate speech so this is something that most of us would agree that if you're denying the Holocaust, that you are promoting something that is not only incorrect, but it's actually hateful. It's hurtful for those people that are still alive today or the grandchildren of the people, or the children of the people that live through that terrible time. And if you're willing to share something like that and Facebook is not willing to flag it as misinformation, um, that that's not really, you know, it's the same as a big company. If a big company you find out has certain kinds of, ideas about the way that certain groups should be treated. You may not want to go and spend your money there. You're like, why would I eat at a restaurant that doesn't support gay rights? Why would I want to go to a store that uh has child laborers making the clothing? You if know, people have these opinions and change the way they spend, the way, you know, the way, where their dollars go, it's the same thing with Facebook. The reason they've been getting away with it for so long is first of all, it's part of every day. Everyone's got Facebook, so it's part yeah. of our everyday life. And it, we don't see Facebook as a company. We just see Facebook as a website that we use to share information. We don't see it as a place where we actually Money. So I think that that is, has let them get away with this for as long as they have.
0: And and here's the tricky part is I think there's companies and, and of course, I think most people would say, gee, I wish this wasn't so, but I'm worried it is. Take a company like, like Chif- Chick-fil-A, which is doing quite well, which has been called out numerous times, especially when they opened up in Toronto, they've been called out numerous times for believing in gay conversion therapy or having, you know, obviously uh, policies and owners that have that have given money to causes that we'd call, uh, you know, demonstrably uh, ignorant and at worse, um, you know, th- that will divide people. And th- there's some people that get emboldened to say they believe what I believe. So I am going to spend more money there than I might otherwise. Like that's that's a concern when we're talking about left and right. I think it's more of a concern in the states. But I, I, you know, again, we, we've had these racist incidents in Toronto these last 48 hours in the news cycle, and and we'd all like to believe we're, you know, we've got the moral high ground compared to America at times. I'm worried sometimes we think we, it, it's, it's closer than we actually think it is.
3: Yeah. So when it comes to anti-black racism, when it comes to gay rights, when it comes to environmental rights, when it comes to animal rights, I think by and large, people believe that companies need to be on the right side of it. And if companies show that not only are they on the wrong side of it, but don't really care if their their CEO or if their you know, people, especially in upper management, have ideas that may not correspond with these, they're going to lose customers. And that's what Facebook is now reckoning. For so many years, they refused to call themselves a news agency, which they still are not a news agency, but they kept refer to the fact that, you know, we're not there to distribute news. We're there to provide a platform where people can share information. But now they are actually taking steps. They're taking pages down. Many pages here in Canada were taken down as well uh, that have been known to uh, to promote uh, hate speech. So they're making moves, but it may be a little too, little too late because, I mean, even if you think about what's been happening in the last five weeks, companies got right on board right away with making sure that they were on the right side of things. And Facebook now, six weeks later, is still sort of humming and hawing. And now that they've lost money, are making changes so that they can get those advertisers back.
0: You can follow her on Twitter. Always save money, Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Uh, stay safe. It's great, a great guest. It's awesome to talk to you. And I hope you're doing well. And we'll talk again soon.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: You got it. Uh, you can follow her uh, at Always Save Money on Twitter. Again, personal finance expert uh, for global news, uh, and uh, now here being heard on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. If
2: everybody's wearing them, then it also protects you because there's less respiratory aerosols in the air around you. It's almost like vaccination. The more people that do it, the more you protect in society. So the higher coverage of mask wearers, the more protected you are uh, in your community and around you.
0: That's Dr. Rodney Rohde. He joined us uh, last week on Friday. As a matter of fact, um, he's in Texas at Texas State University, and we've seen what's transpired down there. I heard a doctor on um, Rachel Maddow's show um, on Friday night who noted they had fought in, in a city of Houston, two and a half million people. It's a it's a burgeoning, growing city, uh, but it's become it's it's moved into the top ten in the U.S. for population. It was never there, but they've had an exploding city. A lot of young people moving there to Houston, to Austin. They had five ICU beds as of Friday. And guess what? They don't have any anymore. So they are over capacity. And we remember what that feeling felt like in March and April. Um, so the message is pretty universal. Texas, Europe, um, anywhere you're going today, the mask is a, is a pretty essential part. Think of it as your wallet. Forget your wallet. You can't go in the store. Think of the mask exactly in that manner. Um, we mentioned the the COVID cases before the break, 257 cases in Ontario, but and, and it's worth noting, and and no, this isn't like a you know a blue sky thing. All but 80 are the migrant farm workers in the Windsor Essex area. So there's two things there. One, it means we haven't we're not seeing a massive breakout or a real trouble spot anywhere else in the province. But that trouble spot is incredibly concerning, right? They're handling our food. We want them safe. There have been a third person died uh, as a result of of not being taken care of properly and uh, or not taking care of himself either or because he's feeling either forced to work or this policy that has to be changed. That uh, if you're if you test positive but are asymptomatic, keep coming to work. Um, That shouldn't be that shouldn't be left up to the worker. Because generally speaking, uh, to, to use the sports pra- phrase, they're going to want to play hurt in this situation. Okay, They're a bit wary, a bit suspicious of of hospitals, of providing it all the information, of government in general, and it's a big problem. So a lot of the cases are down there, and we've got to do something about it. Be curious to hear what the premier has to say about it today. Very excited to have our next guest on. He's uh, an epidemiology professor uh, at U of T. Uh, David Fisman joins us now on the Bill Kelly show. David, it's Greg Brady. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it.
4: Thank you so much for asking me on. And before we get started, could I just say that your messaging in that run-in that you just did, that preamble, was so spot-on and fantastic. I don't... To be honest, I don't know what I'm adding to this conversation. <laughs> I almost feel like you keep talking. I'll
0: be quiet. I will not We're do that. I will so not do that. You, you have a, I have right a on. politics degree from Western and you have a doctorate from Western. Come on. I mean, you know, I, you know, you, you wrote the MCAT. I didn't let's be honest.
4: Well, uh, that was fantastic. Thank you for that
0: message. Oh, well, what, what are the struggles yours? I appreciate that very much. What are the struggles you're seeing even anecdotally, uh, David about, uh, with masks, what, what, what are people, even the ones that are wearing them wrong, what are people not doing right even when they have them?
4: You, you know, I, I, I think the biggest issue with masks is not that they're, they're not being used properly or, or, you know, people wearing them on their heads or, you know, not covering their noses or what have you. I think the, the issue we have in Ontario right now is a real lack of clarity in terms of messaging uh, we're the we're the laggard within the country. Us in Quebec, uh, Alberta's having a bit of a surge right now, but most of the country's racking up zeros at this point um, and has controlled controlled these outbreaks. And there's a lot that we know about COVID now that we didn't know in March and April. Mm-hmm. And we need our public health leaders to step up and and explain to people very clearly what they can do and how they can um, snuff out you know, the remnants of this outbreak in Ontario and how we can prevent resurgences. As you mentioned, we're seeing some big-time resurgences south of the border, <laughs> which is, which is um, you, you know, one of the difficulties for Canada is so you can point south of the border and say, wow, that's really terrible. We're not that terrible. What we should be aspiring to is looking more like countries like Australia, like Germany, uh, like South Korea that have really yeah. got this thing whipped. So, so I think, to me, the, 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 the country I look at as a huge public health success story is Japan. Uh, Japan's disease control policy on COVID actually doesn't look that different from Sweden. But they have really uh, articulated some clear messaging. You know, you can't, you can't have detailed guidance for every single situation a human being is going to be in, in the city of Hamilton or the city of Toronto. There's, life's too complex. So they've boiled it down to the three Cs, and they say closed, close, and crowded. That's where this virus spreads. It spreads indoors, not outdoors. It spreads when we're close, not when we're far away, and it spreads when we're in crowds. So Mm -hmm. our jumping off point is avoid the three Cs, closed, close, and crowded, Sometimes we can't do that, right? There are settings, there are workplaces where we can't do that. We have to go into grocery stores, get our food. Sometimes someone's going to get up near you and, you know, that's not your decision. And in those situations, masking probably is a tremendous um, uh, asset, something that we haven't really used um, in a big way in Ontario. Culturally, it's a bit foreign to us. Yeah. And we haven't leveraged it. But we've we've just got something, I I think this may be where the the request to talk came from, we just got something uh, accepted for publication this week in a journal. It's nothing new. A bunch of other groups have published the same stuff. If you look at masks and COVID, one of the tricks COVID plays is this pre-symptomatic infecting that seems to go on. It's been estimated by a group from Hong Kong that about 40% of all the transmissions happen before people feel sick. So The idea is my mask protects you from me, your mask protects me from you, because we're all going to do the right thing, I hope, once we Mm -hmm. feel sick and get out of circulation. But the sneaky trick of the COVID virus is that people spread it before they feel sick, and masks are a fix for that. They keep us from infecting each other before we know we feel sick.
0: Yeah. Uh, by the way, to, for context for our audience, and I'm glad you brought up Japan, Doctor Fisman, J- 72 cases today in, in a nation that's got four times the population we have. So whatever fear there was, and of course there was going to be fear being so close to the, you know, the Chinese border. I know they're basically an island, but uh, there was still an awful lot of travel in in March and April. What do you think? Uh, there's a lot of buck passing among our politicians. I I was really proud of uh, Markham Mayor uh, Frank Scarpitti for he's going to make it mandatory. Guelph has done the same thing. And and no, we're not going to have, it's not going to be, you know, Orwell's 1984 and there's going to be, cops handing out tickets everywhere, but I think it'll breed confidence. I think it'll breed, especially for retailers, so like a 21-year-old cashier uh, at Shoppers Drug Mart, we should be protecting them. We should be protecting the people at Sobeys and and and, uh, and and other grocery stores, and the mandatory thing would do that.
4: Right, and I, I, I think there's been some real mushy messaging in Ontario that's, that's muddied the waters unnecessarily. I think what a mandate does is it helps normalize it. It helps, it helps tell people that this is a new expectation. This is how we're going to get through this, this stuff. It's good for all of us. It's especially a pro-business intervention because we're having to do all these shutdowns in order to control virus. Wouldn't it be nice to be a little more open and have the same slow burn going on via mask use? So, you know, I remember I was a I was an associate medical officer of health in Hamilton in the early 2000s okay. when tobacco free bars and restaurants came in. And that was the same idea. It was about, you know, taking something that's normal behavior. This is how you know, this is how we live in Ontario, getting a ton of pushback. But at some point, public health and politicians say the No, you, you know, we have to change how we act We're going to do this because it's good for all of us. It's good for our communities. It's good for community health. So we're actually going to use the tools in our toolbox. And for public health leaders in Ontario, those tools mostly live in something called the Health Protection Promotion Act. There's been some back and forth in Toronto about whether or not our medical officer of health even has the power to put in a mask mandate. Um, and then Dr. Mercer and Guelph showed that, yeah, local medical officers of health sure do. And that's been repeated now a couple of times. I think in Windsor, they're pushing, starting to push more for masks. God bless Mayor Scarpetti. That, yeah. that was very brave. And I think more places have to do it, even if it's quiet. You know, the idea is keep it quiet, right? Alberta was really quiet, and then they had 70 cases two days ago. Yeah. So, you, you know, the idea is to Get away from playing whack-a-mole, where you're you're dealing with these resurgences. You don't know where the next one's going to come. Just keep it quiet, and you keep it quiet by with a three-season with masking.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've been disappointed by the Toronto mayor, who says, "Well, I'm open to the idea. Well, do it or don't." Uh, he's been open to every. He, generally, he's open to everything. Um, he's finally said, "Okay, masks on the TTC." But Dr. Fisman, that's not even going through till July eighth. Who needs four yeah, and a yeah. half weeks of preparation to get ready to put a piece of cotton on their face? D- d- yeah, the, why do we need? The, why do we need to wait that long? We're waiting the, too long. The,
4: the Hamlet stuff that to be Ugh. or not to be, uh, the agonizing—it's it's getting a little stale at this point. Like uh, we, we have a friend we work with in Belgium, and mm-hmm. our joke with this guy—he's a—he's a disease modeler, and we have kind of a collaboration. and you know what we see is that. Uh, may shock you but this virus behaves exactly the same way in belgium as it does in ontario his joke is that the conversations we have in ontario tend to be the conversations that they had in belgium about a month or six weeks ago but they just seem to make their minds up a lot quicker so so our, so our friend steve in belgium is predicting that we're going to have an ontario mask mandate it'll just take a couple more weeks because we seem to like to chew things chew things over a bit more endlessly than they do over there
0: it's Uh, it feels that way yeah yeah. What's yeah. your what's your messaging to um younger people who feel um, impenetrable. I I liken to this to, you know, though though we we wish we probably hadn't at one point, if we drove close to, say, the legal limit for consuming alcohol, most of us would say, wow, I put myself in a bad position there. I was lucky I made it home. I'm not going to do that again. What I'm worried about with the virus is younger people are saying, it didn't get me this time or that time or that time. So I'm pretty immune to it. Like, like, I don't know if you saw the story yesterday, Rudy Gobert, the NBA player who famously got it he says i still can't i still haven't got my sense of smell back he's 28 fit as a fiddle 99.9 percentile of people on the planet for fitness and he hasn't fully recovered three and a half months later
4: yeah yeah no so so i don't want to overplay the risks in young people because because one of the silver linings to this damn thing is is that people under the age of 50 seem to get severely ill, much less than people over the age of 50. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the risk is in. I'm, I'm 50, a lot of the, the risk sort of takes off sharply at my age and beyond. That said, if we have widespread transmission of this virus, one in a thousand complications, you know, uh, winding up in intensive care unit, winding up with, with blood clots, uh, winding up with respiratory failure, that's going to happen to a lot of younger people if if spread is is if transmission is widespread enough, and and I am worried about the fall in terms of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: The, the the other thing, which is which is hard to message, is that we think transmission in young people is ultimately going to filter through into older people. Well, something that's interesting when we look at Ontario's data is that the per test positivity right now is about three times higher in people under the age of 40 as in people over the age of 40. And particularly once you get past the age of 60, we have very few uh, positive uh, results per test, which to me says that older people are scared and are looking after themselves by distancing more and staying out of circulation. You know, I I, I think there are the there, there, there's a limit to which you can sort of push this at a time when when the disease is relatively quiescent in Ontario. I think everyone needs a chance to to uh, stretch okay. their legs. But part of the important messaging is that we do this. to you, you know, none of us are 20 year olds who lack any sort of interaction with with people who are over 50. You know, we're, we're a community, we're all connected directly or indirectly. So part of the messaging, and I think we can do better on this, is you protect yourself, both to protect yourself, but also to protect other people who are much more likely than you to have severe outcomes if they get this infection. I do think we're into a bit of a good place in Ontario. Yeah. Almost whatever we do right now, the seasonality of this disease, the fact that we're outdoors, it's an indoor virus, we're outdoors now, yeah. you know, whether it's temperature, whether it's drying, whether it's UV radiation, there's something about summer, we're, we're not being perfect in terms of mm-hmm. um, distancing and so forth, and disease has become much more quiescent in Ontario. The flip of that is we have to really wrap our heads around what we're going to do come fall, because I think it is coming back, um, and, and we have to get ready.
0: U of T, uh, epidemiology professor, David Fistman, our guest, uh, you can follow him on Twitter. I'd recommend it at D Fistman. We'd love to have you on. I know you pro- you know, another media request, you roll your eyes, but I'm glad you made time for me and our listeners today. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the Bill Kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Greg Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free. So you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review and I'll be back with another one tomorrow.